Officers Association of Michigan podcast radio show recorded live in our studios in Redford, Michigan. Home is a full-service labor organization formed to provide every labor-related service from negotiations, grievance processing, legal and legislative representation to Act 312 arbitrations. I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank you for tuning in to this special edition of the Police Officers Association of Michigan podcast, uh, the radio show that we have. My name is Dwight Seringer. I am uh, affiliated with the Police Officers Association of Michigan. And in a moment here, we're going to be talking to the president, Jim Tiganelli. And the topic of our, 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 our podcast today is going to be more about the recent release of uh, 2012 crime homicide statistics here. Um, it, it appears that uh, we're in a very, very low point and a point of despair that happening here, not only in the city, but throughout the state of Michigan as a whole. And uh, we, we want to go a little bit deeper into what's going on, what the problem is, and, and, and really in a lot of ways, how consumers can help us out, uh, can help out law enforcement and the protectors of the community to receive the funds, receive the training, and to get more police back on the street. You know, we're, we're at a larger rate uh, than we were in previous years. An increase of more than nine percent over two thousand and eleven, uh, and we it, it's been on a very steady incline from two hundred and thirty seven in two thousand and ten to three hundred and seventy seven in two thousand and eleven and we were at four eleven and you know you're talking about we we made national news of course everybody's aware of this, but uh, over cities with more than two hundred thousand residents, we actually have four different cities. On this list of the top 10 in the nation, you have the city of Detroit, you have Saginaw, you have Flint, and Pontiac. And these are all huge, huge, not only murder, but, you know, and that, 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 that release was for murder. And we're talking about stats and levels that have increased since numbers that haven't been heard of since the early 80s. But we're also talking about uh, accelerated crime. So we're talking about... Uh, violent crimes. We're talking about break-ins. We're talking about residential property. Uh, these type of components. And what I really want to do is pull together the correlation of how these things are coming together and really kind of get to the root of what's happening and what we can do together. So, without further ado, I want to put Mr. Jim Tiganelli on the line with us. Sounds good, sir. All right, Mr. Tiganelli, I'd like to th- thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks for uh, calling, and I appreciate it. Excellent. So as I've already uh, I've, uh, digressed a little bit about the, the rise of the crime statistics and what's happening with that, I think we want to pull together exactly uh, the correlation with job cuts, the amount of, uh, of uh, officers we actually out there on the street. I've already illustrated this fact that, you know, we have four cities with a population of more than 200,000 that are in the top 10 list for the, for the entire country for 2012. Let's tie this together a little bit more with budget cuts and how all of this pulls together. I know you had some, uh, some ideas in regards to illustrating to consumers and to our members, um, you know, from homeownership and the lack thereof and all these components. Well, it's it's a it's a nasty circle that involved in in that you know if you if you feel unsafe uh, you decide you don't want to stay and if you decide you don't want to stay you sell your home for probably less than you uh, would think it 
might be worth under normal circumstances. And all of these things uh, in really pretty rapid uh, action will reduce the amount of property taxes that are coming in. Uh, you know, and then it, there is, of course, the uh, unintended consequences of people don't shop here anymore, people don't eat here anymore, you know, so people don't go to church or play ball here anymore. So those things turn, you know, what could have been a nice neighborhood into uh, you know, a place that is, that you don't even stop at the corner anymore. And uh, I'll give you an example of one of the four towns that you speak of, uh, I'm sure would have been Saginaw. Yeah. And uh, in, in the city of Saginaw in 2002, we had 100 and I believe 175 sworn officers. And now we have, I believe, 80. And I'm sure if you go back and check 2002 compared to, say, 2012, you're going to find a dramatic difference in what has occurred in that town. Sure. And I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's just a coincidence that it happens to be fewer police officers. Uh, but it is, because crimes don't get solved. There's no presence. There's no visibility. I mean, I, I guess I always tell people, if, you, if police department left an empty car on a residential street by the curb, you drive slower there. And, and it's presence and visibility are things that are a thing of the past in those communities you're talking about now because really it's all they can do to try to respond to true emergencies, uh, let alone try to solve the crimes and, uh, and do anything preventative. Yeah. Now, you know, some of the things is, you know, Dave Bing, when he put this uh, release out, the increase of 2011 over to 2012, this was for murder. And so we're talking numbers, like I stated, you know, that have not been this highest since the early 80s. But this is also not talking about other types of crimes. And, you know, since we have budget cuts and we can't put the officers out there on the street, um, there's not the response that can happen. Then you have the consumer outcry that they can't get a cop there. It takes an hour and a half to answer a call. Um, and then we talk about other other crimes that are actually happening to property and, and to, to persons and uh, violent crimes, of course, are on the rise as well. And these all kind of tie together in, 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 a, in a large way. Um, let's let's pull together about as far as training. I mean, what does that end up doing on training when we don't have the money and these jurisdictions or these counties and cities don't have the money from numerous forms of revenue and budgets? What does that do to, I guess, uh, the pencil being very sharp that's out there patrolling? Well, it has even, uh, the tentacles of that reach further than you can imagine, Dwight, because uh, I'll give you an example. When I was on the job, we went to the gun range once a month. And we went through 50 rounds or 100 rounds once a month. And we would get a new box of ammo when we walked out of the door. Now, office, then it became a quarterly thing and a semi-annual thing and an annual thing. And now in many communities, the gun range is something that you do on your own time. And except just to qualify, any practice that you might do is going to have to be on ammunition that you buy yourself. And that's going to be out of your pocket. Yeah, with the advent of semi-automatic weapons. I mean, the old days, we had revolvers and reloaded ammunition, which is you cannot use in a a semi-automatic. So it's expensive even to use practice ammo because of the type of ammunition you're using. But what what reaches further than that uh, on the training thing is, that if we can't be trained and we can't be kept up to date certification-wise on things that we need as tools, we have to stop using them. It's not like when I went from 12 times a year in the range to twice a year that I, I didn't carry a gun anymore. But many of these things that we're asked to carry now, the tools that we're asked to carry now, require some certification or some, sure. some, uh, some training that is documented because... 
it's a we're a libelous society. I mean, so even if a guy, well intended, does a good job, it's likely that somebody's going to get sued. Yeah, we're so happy. What does the employer do now? As they said, you can't carry it anymore. You know, because what if? And so, therefore, even some of the tools that we may have found to be effective over the years now become a thing that uh, we can't carry anymore because. You know, what if we have to use it? Somebody's going to say, you know, we did something wrong with it. So the training thing reaches way further than the fact that we just don't have the equipment. It, it becomes an issue where you're prohibited from using it even if you needed to or wanted to. So we have budget constraints, but now it's being pulled away from, you know, you got to get rid of something. So then it goes into these points that, you know, do we really need the training? Do they need to go to the gun range as much? Do we need to get these supplemental items? And then we have the issues of our, you know, liability insurance for lawsuits and, and all these components. So um, the, the guys aren't getting the training. They don't necessarily have all the tools. They may not feel as confident in protecting in many different ways. And when their budgets or their salaries and their contracts are being cut, Five, ten, fifteen. I've heard as high as thirty um, yeah, percent. What's the motivation? Fifteen is a very reasonable number right now. Fifteen percent cut. Yeah. So, what's the motivation to really be the best in everything you can be, unless that's just been instilled in you from you know generations and being in law enforcement? I mean, I, I, I would have to think if I was in their shoes. Those would be considerations. I, I'm going to go home at night. This is not my full time job, but I've got a family and I've got you know children to take care of, and you know, how far do I want to go to do all this for what I'm getting paid? really is a job, uh, or has been a job, I'd say going back generationally for people that that are ready for those types of things. I mean, it's, a, it's I don't think historically people that chose to be police officers chose to do it just because it was a good job or they just needed income. I think it was because they were motivated. Uh, there had some kind of a motivation subconsciously to, to try to protect people, do things, solve crime. however realistic that might be. I think that was what they believed and that's what they continue to believe what i like to remind people of dwight is that it is a job it is still a job i mean welders are important uh, mechanics are important there's a lot of important things out there police officers chaos is what is the type of thing that you can be aware of happening if if you have not got enough law enforcement if, if you're if you find the best restaurant in town you're not going to go there with your family if you don't feel your car will be there when you come out or if you feel that you're going to get assaulted while walking to the lot. so That's a great point. Police officers, it's a job, and I want them to go home. I want them to do their job. I want them to have that selfless courage that every law enforcement officer seems to uh, you know, have, but, but I do want them to go home. And they, as they, a... go to soccer, they go to soccer games. They go to church. They empty dishwashers. You know, they're real people. <laughs> yeah, and as a civilian, as, as just a regular you know, common folk, I, I want to have the visibility. I, um, I don't want to be just thinking the lights flashing in my rearview mirrors because I did something wrong. I want to know if I go down somewhere and I take my child somewhere. If I go to a game downtown, and I, and I don't want to be afraid to walk across or park over in this lot because it just looks there's a bunch of uh, men in buildings and it just doesn't look very very safe. If I see that presence there, I'm going to have some confidence to know that I'm going to pay 15 bucks for that parking. So, you know, this is it's it's very fragmented. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, moving parts to this. It's it's got a lot of dynamics, obviously, but we're definitely in a dire need. And uh, I know that's one thing that the uh, the Police Officers Association of Michigan um, is, you know, really, really behind in doing so, you know, for for over 40 years now. 
Um, you know, I, I guess let's tie this together, too, because we had really a landmark decision, a 180, that our governor, Mr. Snyder, uh, came to a conclusion before, you know, they, they uh, commenced, uh, you know, there's a Senate uh, it, uh, here in Lansing uh, before the new year, and that was to the, the, the work to write. Uh, the work to write, the right to work, and over over changing that, and that this is a big deal, and uh, I think this is the thing that not only our members need to be aware of how active POAM is, uh, the longevity that we've had. This is nothing that we're just starting up. This is nothing that we're just uh, you know the the gun is shot now. He 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 pulled the trigger, and we're going to start running the race. We've been involved in this for quite a long time, and I think consumers need to know also too POAM's involvement in legislative, not only here in Lansing. I want to talk about community-wise, county-wise, but I want to talk at a, at a federal level as well. So if you could dive into that a little bit, too, and how those all tie together. Well, those are the people that make the decisions ultimately are those elected officials. And it can be even at the, at the, the smallest form of township government. And I'll give you an example in the northern Macomb County in uh, Bruce, Ray, Armada, and Richmond Townships. It's 150 or 160 square miles it has no police. There's none there, okay? I mean, you have a trooper that drives through, but the trooper is a five-county a five county trooper. You have uh, sheriff's department guys that can come up there, and they're wonderful guys, but they, they have to come from 10, 15 miles away. And in between there are contracted communities using the sheriff, but because they pay for their deputies, they don't want them going to where people don't pay. Reasonably, uh, you know. Yeah, obviously. Now, is that is that restriction a result of, of a budget cut or a millage not passing? Uh, not, well, twofold. Uh, it used to be, I'll start it out by saying it was just budget cutting. The county of Macomb used to have 16 deputies north of 26 Mile Road. Now they have one. Okay? Wow. And one officer, well, greatest guy in the world, big Superman on his chest or her chest, uh, can't can't even answer an alarm. I mean, it's, there's very few one-person calls that you take because the one-person calls are, are the types of calls that you're just not even going to respond to now because uh, if it's not a true emergency, you're not going to go. And that is their responsibility statutorily. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, I don't want to get you too far off track here, but when you think about, you're talking about uh, crime rates, in, this, in those four townships, crime rate's almost zero. You know why? Because nobody's because reporting. Yep. Why, why would I call and say my car's gone? Nobody's going to come. Well, I drive 22 miles down to the sheriff's department to report my car gone? Why? Just tell your insurance company the car's gone. So do you call up and say, hey, your brother beat you up last night? No. Do you tell you call and say he's beating you up right now? No. Because why? You know, by the time anybody gets there to report it, the, the, the fight's over. So crime rates up there look like they're, holy cow, there's no need for police here because, geez, nothing's happening. Well, nothing happens because they can only report to you what you report to them. But on the local legislative things, up there in those four townships, they voted overwhelmingly, like three to one, to not pay up to one mil to have police. Because that's the the attitude they have. These are people with the rifles in the back of their trucks. I mean, I'm one of those guys. I happen to live up there myself. Uh, you know, they want to be, they don't want to have to pay for it. And they think that because they pay county taxes, they should have it. It's not true. County taxes don't pay for your police anymore. It's yeah. for jail. It's for dispatch. But what we do is we try to elect people to those positions, even on the lowest form of government. I just, that didn't sound right, but on the smallest form of government, a township or a small municipality. We're looking at saying who actually does support law enforcement, who actually does support you know, 
I prefer the law enforcement. It just never happens. So consequently, we work at that level, the county level, state level. We have a full-time lobbyist in uh, Lansing. We have a full-time POM lobbyist in Washington, D.C. Because years ago, we used to share those types of things. And what we found is you have a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. who's arguing for law enforcement in South Dakota, Missouri, New yeah. Mexico. It wasn't helping me. So we ended up in 2001 or two hiring our own guy in Washington, and it's been very efficient and very effective for us. But what the people can do is call us. Look at our website, POM.net. very comprehensive site. I think it's... I think it's well managed and it's and it's you know it's up to date. I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah, we have a lot of resources. There's a lot of resources that are on there that we'll we'll have on the site and for our listeners. Poam.net. If you're a consumer, if you're a member, you already know that you get the updates. Very very active on the social networks with everything that's going on and what Poam is involved in. But we'll have a ton of resources at a localized level, statewide, on different representatives that you can contact to express your feelings. On it's very important that they elect people that that have actually shown support for public safety and law enforcement. That, that don't just say, I mean, who wants chaos? Who wants no law? I mean, they all are going to say, oh, yeah, I support the police. Well, of course they do. Uh, the bad guys dial 911. Face it, I mean, the, the drug dealers call when they need help. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody supports law enforcement as long as it's not interfering with their day-to-day operation, you know. I think the bottom line is that any consumer, any civilian, anybody, I mean, because uh, our police officers, when they go home, they're civilians. We want to know, and it's been instilled in us since childhood, that uh, the police are there, the fire is there, the, amb- the EMS is there. When you have trouble, you pick up the phone, you dial a number, and these are people that are supposed to come with you. And I think it's, it's important to illustrate that the realization now is it's, it's getting bad, and you may not be able to get those answers. You may be in a queue, and based on what you need, um, you may be a little bit far down, and it may be an hour or a couple hours or a shift before someone can answer to you. And I think that's not what consumers are going to be very, very happy about. I would not be happy about it. We, you know, everybody has families. So we're, we're directly connected to whether or not that this can get better and that we can be safe. Well, I don't know where you live. That's none of our business. But, you know, the fact is, when you, wherever you live, wherever you move to, a couple things that you asked yourself was, uh, what kind of neighborhood is it? Yeah. Uh, what kind of police department do they have? What kind of schools do they have? Even if your kid's going to go to a private school, when you're building your home or buying a home, your property values are going to be contingent upon there being a good public school system as well. Yep. Because yeah, a lot of people are going to rely on that. So when when crime gets bad, when law enforcement gets shrinking, schools go bad. Yep. Neighborhoods go bad. It's, you have to have this, um, you know, this this ability to feel safe. And one of the things that we're trying to do that POM has been working very hard on uh, that I'd you know, like to have some of your people maybe read about and see, have an opportunity, is what is called the public safety concept. Okay. Public safety are officers that are trained to be not only police officers, certified police, but also certified as firefighter one and two, which means they can engineer a truck. We've got about 50 of those departments in Michigan right now. They've been around for a long time. It's not a new concept. But the fact that we, you get, take an example of the fact that in the city of uh, Saginaw, where you had 170 police and over 100 fire, that now you have 80 police and about 60 fire, what would it be like if all 140 of those could do either? 
It, yeah. it'd take you way back over where you used to be on fire number, and it'd take you darn close to where you were on police number, and you didn't hire anybody. Right. And Dave said he has just adopted it. Uh, Port Huron is looking at it. Monroe did it two years ago. Uh, these are new places. What I'm trying to say is that you have to make yourself more valuable. That's what we need to do as police officers. And that's what POM is trying to do is encourage our guys. Uh, if, the, if, the, if the clerk in the office can only use a royal typewriter, at some point in time we don't have a job for them. Yeah, and you know what? If the clerk doing that can, can learn how to use the computer, hey, we have something for her to do. That's a real win-win situation. And